how he loves us and how important it is for us to, to realize that. You know, uh, this month is uh, Black History Month or African American History Month and, and, and it's a month that, that we talk about the heritage that our African American culture and brothers have, have made to our history. But in the midst of that, there, there is this dialogue about whether there's still racism in our nation. And, and, and there's this back and forth banter about that. And then you add to that the political rhetoric that we hear and, and the polarization of people on, on extreme sides. And, and, uh, and when we think about how fragmented and how divided we are, uh, as a nation. I, I was at a conference recently where uh, they were talking about how we live in the most uh, globalized and connected era ever. Technology has allowed us to connect with every single corner of the world. We can be real time talking to someone in another part of the world. We can be connected through social media and, and, and all kinds of ways. We're, we are a globalized generation. And yet they said the more globalized we have become, the more tribal we are becoming as well. People are focusing on what it is that they identify with, whether it's their political slant or, or their ethnicity or their race or their national origin or their religion, and they're building fences around them, keeping others from coming in and, and yelling at the rest of the world. And when we look at that fragmentation, when we look at that tribalism, we are called back to the scriptures to see God's heart for the world, to see God's heart for the nations. And, and I want to share with you a passage from 1 John chapter 3, beginning with verse 11, that addresses this and it lifts our eyes up as believers. It tells us what makes the difference for us that follow Jesus. 1 John chapter 3, verse 11. It reads like this, For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister it's a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, 
to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them, and this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. Thank God for his word. And I want to share quickly with you three things, and I'm just going to mention them. I'm not going to elaborate much on them, but I'm going to show, share with you three things that this passage reminds us of. And the first one is that what defines us as God's people is God's love. We're not defined by our mistakes. We're not defined by our failures. We're not ultimately defined by our ethnicity. We're not defined by our political stance. We're not defined by what makes us angry or what makes us happy. We're defined by the love of God. It is that we are love, and that's why we sing and, and we bask in that love. Oh, how he loves us, because until we understand how we are loved, then we're not going to be able to love others. But what, what, what we don't understand that we're loved, then, then we're worried about ourselves and, and we're insecure. But when we can rest secure in the love of God, then we know that's what defines us and that's what never changes. The love of God is limitless. He went to the cross for you and for me. This is how you know that God loves you because he laid down his life for you. There was no limit to his love. He went to the extreme because he loves you and you find and you and I find our identity in God's love beyond anything else. The second thing that we see here in the scriptures is that what distinguishes us as God's people is our love. The Bible says here there are two kinds of people in the world. There are the people that hate and there are the people that love. The people that hate are following the ways of the world. They're following the heritage of Cain. The people that love are following the heritage of Christ. And, and, and so what distinguishes us, what makes us genuine followers of Christ is the fact that we've experienced limitless love in such a way that we turn around and love others even when it's hard to like them, even when we disagree with them, even when their lifestyle makes us sick. We love them because Christ loves them because the love of Christ lives in us. And then third, that what displays our love is our actions. Look at verse 18 one more time. It says, dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. The Bible reminds us that love is not a feeling. It's an action. The Bible says, don't just sing about it. Show it. Show it with your actions. The evidence of knowing God is our love for others. And today, the stories that we're going to hear are to illustrate what it means to love others. We're going to hear stories about what it means as the people of God to love the nations of the world, to go beyond our tribalistic tendencies and extend our hearts to love those in remote areas, in areas where we wouldn't have thought of them. I was facilitating a Discovery Bible study this last Wednesday night. We were looking at the story of Zacchaeus, and we came to that place in the story where, where, it says, where Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house because Zacchaeus, this is also a son of Abraham. Abraham. And you know what Jesus was saying to the crowd? I know you hate this guy because he's a tax collector. I know you hate him because of the things that he has done. I know you've shunned him from, from your society, but I want you to know he's the son of Abraham just like you are. In other words, he's your brother. 
And, and what Jesus reminds us of today, as we look at the world, as fragmented as it is, as messy as it is, as crazy as it is, what Jesus wants to remind us as you look at people is, I died for them too. And if I die for them, I expect you to love them. We're going to hear stories about what it means to love the world. Chad, you come and uh, tell us more about this. Good morning. What an exciting morning we're going to have this morning with uh, so much to share and so much to tell you about. I want to start by just kind of explaining a little bit of how we, we, we engage in this, this topic um, of missions. You know, we, if you go to Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. And today we're going to use that as just a simple framework. What are we doing here, our Jerusalem? What are we doing in our, our region, Judea and Samaria, which we're going to say is the U.S. and Mexico? And what are we doing to the ends of the earth? And we're going to share stories from each of those three areas today with the idea that we want to help you understand what God's doing through the missions committee here at Calvary, through all the funds that Calvary gives to missions, and, uh, and how we're engaging with these partners. So just by way of a little overview, we have 24 mission families in 10 countries that we support on a regular basis. And uh, you can see kind of where they're located there. And, um, and it's really been an, a phenomenal and incredible thing that we've been, we've been blessed with. Nine of those we engage with really closely. We're sending teams, we're, we're partnering with them, whether it's with, uh, with specific projects like in Kenya, the water project, or in Chiapas with the coffee project. We're trying to figure out more than just one way. It's not just that we send a check, but we're really involved in how they work, and we're trying to help them understand how we work. Maybe the two of us can learn from one another. That's happening in nine locations. So what we're going to do over this next several months is every month we're going to have a country, one of those, those, not a country, but a regional focus on one of those nine projects where we're heavily invested. And every month you're going to get a prayer card about, the, about that project. And we're going to have a, a Sunday every month where we share a little testimony from someone that's been there or one of us that's been really engaged with the leaders there. And we're hoping that throughout this year we can help you get a better understanding of all the things that God is doing. Uh, we, we've done missions weeks in the past and mission Sundays, but the problem is that we have about the same hundred people show up to all the meetings. And then what happens in between is people say, we don't ever hear about missions so we want to try to use Sunday morning as a way to share with you more of what God's doing and do it in small segments throughout the year, not just condensed in one week or in one weekend. And so this is the beginning. This really is an overview of all that God's doing. So this, this place we just looked at, Acts chapter 1, you see this beautiful place where God's, Jesus begins to share his disciples what his big vision is. And if you couple that with Matthew 28, where Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing the, whole, the, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And I'm with you always. If you combine those two things, you get this idea that Jesus has a passion that his disciples would make disciples until they've taken disciples and, and built communities of disciples everywhere, right? Starting where you are and ending where you're not, right? It's, it's the, whole, the idea is this gospel is going to go global and that every little corner of the earth is going to be impacted by it. And so as we're thinking about how that started in Jerusalem there early in Acts, you see this beautiful picture of how the gospel exploded around the apostles and how so many, 3,000 the first day in Acts chapter 2, 4,000 in Acts chapter 4, and you see thousands and thousands of new converts, new believers immediately 
on the scene, we begin to ask ourselves, what does it look like for us to start movements like that in our own backyard? We're teaching everyone in the Philippines and all around the world how to use certain tools. I just want to show you real quick a couple of those tools. You may remember that last year, Pastor Julio put out a, a document called 2020 Vision, and we're praying that God would help us start uh, a movement here in the RGV that would double the number of believers in the Rio Grande Valley. And uh, we estimate that, that there are about 4.5%, roughly 58,000 evangelical believers across the Rio Grande Valley. And we asked God, what would it look like for us to pray that you would double the number of believers here? 60,000 new believers by the end of 2020. By the end of the next 22 months. We said, what's that going to take? Well, what's it going to take? It's going to take every one of the people that we know who follow Jesus to start welcoming their friends and, non, uh, their friends and non-believers into their circle of, of, of community. That's one thing. Everyone that we know doing their part to engage the gospel. The whole church doing the whole work of the gospel. It's going to take that kind of work. Beyond that, we have to find friends and, and, uh, and counterparts all across the valley, other believers that are willing to partner with us. If we had 58,000 believers who just need to lead one person to Jesus, this might be very doable, right? But if we have 1,500, which is how many members we have at Calvary, trying to reach 60,000 people, that may not be doable, right? And so we're asking God to help us start to catalyze a movement, starting with, our, with, with the people that God has placed around us and moving outwards to anybody that would be uh, willing to, to listen or help and, and share. So this is a real simple process. This is called the simple path to multiplication, this next little slide. And I want you to see this because this is our really simple tool. We've been teaching this last fall in, in classes. We're teaching it this fall in class, uh, the spring in classes. We're starting it in, in Spanish as well. And it's this idea that you gather two or three people around you and start praying for the lost. You encourage them, be faithful together, huddle together in these little groups and love Jesus well together. And as you do, as you start praying for the lost, that's the second step. Then God's going to give you opportunities to share the gospel with those lost people. And as people respond to the gospel, you teach them all that Jesus commanded us right there. You teach them to follow Jesus in faithful ways. You teach them to be fully formed disciple makers. And lastly, you teach them how to gather together, encourage one another, which is exactly what we're doing today. Right? And what do we do when we gather? Guess what? We try to get you to group and start doing this all over again. So this process is reproducible. It happens over and over and over. And you can see it in the life of Jesus and his ministry. You can see it in the life of Paul as he planted churches. And so we're trying to teach and train people on how to make disciples and how to be disciple makers. So what we've done is last, uh, last August, we started a pilot in our, in our, uh, with our English um, believers. And we're trying to figure out who would be willing to host groups in their home where they could gather in small groups, build a community around this idea of praying for the lost, and then maybe they would open their homes to invite lost people in and begin praying with them and sharing the gospel with them and seeing if God would give us this opportunity. So we had 14 groups that started last August. So there's another slide here. This is just kind of drawing out on a whiteboard who's doing what, where, and trying to get an idea of uh, how do we map it and strategically follow who's happening. Already several of the groups have multiplied into other groups. And so right now we have about 15 groups in the community and it's pretty exciting. So this morning I want to invite Eddie and Amy Gonzalez. They started a group last August. They're going to come up and share with us uh, this morning. Um, I'm just going to ask them a couple of questions so we can get a little idea of what it's like if you were to, to join them on Thursday nights in their, in their home group. Yeah, we'll give them two, yeah. How are you guys doing this morning? Second time? Yes. <laughs> now you're experienced veterans. You're good, ready to go. So how long have you guys been here at Calvary? Um, I've been here at Calvary for 21 years. 21 years. And Eddie? And I've been here uh, 20 years. 
And uh, how have you engaged in community life over those years? You're involved in Bible fellowships and, of course, here on Sunday mornings, other ways? Yes, children's ministry, adult Bible fellowship, leading and attending, and currently we serve with the youth. Okay. Same with you, Same with us. We've led Bible groups and children's, and right now we're with the high school students right now. So you guys have been very involved in Calvary life for, for two decades um, all together. So, so what is, what's different? What, when we started this group in your house in August, how many couples started with you? It was ourselves and two others. Are, are they here today? Is there any of those guys here? James and Dawn? One back couple's here. right here. Anna you and Jared, the couple, are you guys here? They're, you guys here? Wave your hand. No, they're not here. They're they, only here at 11 o'clock. Their mom's so. in town. I think she's oh, sick. Okay. <laughs> um, and, uh, and you've grown since then. So you started with three couples and how many couples do you have now? So there's a total of five families. Five families. But actually, after the first service, we just had somebody come up to us. And <laughs> Six we're like, somebody, oh, just, somebody joined us after the first service. Yes. <laughs> and uh, so all together, how many people are meeting in your home on Thursday nights, if you include the kids? We're right at about 20 people. 20 people. Um, so have you enjoyed it? Has it been a meaningful thing for you? It's been very meaningful for me. It's I, My wife was saying the same thing. The most, probably the most meaningful thing for us has been... We talk about this. We're all gathering, 20 of us, and we form a big circle, and we've got so many kids, Jaden, Zara, our children, and they're all sitting around, and we talk about up for the week and hello, and little children, you know, my high for the week was I got to go to Chuck E. Cheese, and just keeping it real, and it's so, the most exciting part has been to seeing the children interact with the adults, for, for me at least. Yeah, that's great. How about the relationship between the adults? Is it just like when you come on Sunday, do you guys have more time to interact and, and get to encourage each other? Um, so I feel like we're getting stronger. A lot of us are thankful for a place to connect and to have that community where we're, we all have the same vision. And we're eating and we're studying the Bible. We're praying for the lost um, as a family, family on mission. And who preaches in your group? Well, actually, the first time James did, and we <laughs> we take turns, and the, which, this is was really was a really exciting part. Is after James did, we open up the Bible, and we'll, we'll share it. We have one one chapter. James said, uh, All right, "Who's going to teach the next week?" And actually, one of the children in the group says, "I like to teach next week." So there was a preteen who opened up the Word of God, and she had the head hard hand head hard hand questions, and she led all the adults, and it was it was exciting to see a twelve year old lead the adults. So it's just different people. Whoever want, we leave it open to anyone who wants to teach it. No, that's great. That was kind of a trick question. One of the things we do is we train the leaders how to facilitate good discussion about the Bible and not just preach and teach through it. And so literally, I love it, a preteen can walk through the questions and be a, a part of how the whole thing goes. Well, we're so thankful for your family. <clears throat> we're so thankful for your, your home fellowship. We're so grateful for all that God is doing there. And we're excited to continue watching how it grows, how it expands. You guys have a, uh, a dream now because the group has grown so much already. They're thinking about how, to, how are they going to maybe launch the group and restart another one in their home so that they can continue uh, having opportunity to invite lost people. Um, we're going to continue our worship, but I'm going to ask Eddie to pray for our offering as we continue. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Father, and we just pause for a moment, Lord. We've sang so many beautiful songs, Father. Mostly centered around your love, Father. The, the amazing love, Father, that you would send your son, Jesus Christ, to die such a gruesome death, Father, knowing it had to be done, Father, to pay for our sins, Father. And you, you willingly gave us your son, and he willingly went to the cross, Father. So many times, Lord, it's 
it's easy to forget, Father, that that love that you sent, Father, it's been finished, Father, and so many times it's so hard to easy to forget, Father, that it's just like since the beginning, Father, when Adam and Eve sinned, Father, they ran and hid from you. It's easy to forget, Father, that you love us unconditionally. Perhaps somebody here today is running, Father, from you. I pray, Lord, that they would turn back around, Lord, knowing that you love them unconditionally. That they, too, Father, would be able to do as you've commanded us to do, Father. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, Father. Every one of us in here, Father, is called to make disciples. Every one of us in here are sinners, Father, saved by your grace. So as we let this just sink in more and more, Father, I pray that we would all across the world, Father, people proclaiming Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, that that protection and the, would just continue to be there, Father, that the message is simple. Jesus loves you, died for your sins, and wants you to pray, repent and go tell other people the good news, Father, that more and more would be saved. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. So we're just going to keep going out a little bit now. So now we're going to look from our uh, region to, to, to start looking at what's going on in Mexico and here in the U.S. Um, man. So right now we're in the middle of, of starting a new partnership in the Northwest, up in the Seattle, Oregon, Vancouver, B.C. area. And we don't have it all worked out yet. But be praying for us because there's a whole segment of church planters up there that are trying to establish new works in what's called the least reached portion of the United States. But today we're going to talk about what's happening in Mexico as a a bigger focus. We are really heavily invested at this point in in three different areas, four different areas of Mexico. One is Paras de la Fuente. We have the pecan farm there. We have a children's home there. We have the church planter Candelario there, who in the last year has planted six churches out in communities, and they're planning on planting two more in the next few months. Um, you know we're working in Guerrero. It's in the mountains um, with the Tlapaneco people groups. Juan Huerta has really helped champion that work there where it's a whole group of, of young believers who are learning how to plant churches in the, the hilltops. It's where the villages are all on the top of these mountains. And so we're working along them. It's been, it's been slower there, and we're not as close, but we're working on it. And then where we're most invested by far is Chiapas. Pastor Eofemio Bonifaz, we're going to have a picture of him here. Um, Eofemio is, a, is an incredible apostolic pastor missionary that we work with in Chiapas. And we've been working with him since before I came to Calvary. And uh, they've planted in the last 15 years about 150 churches across Chiapas and nine training centers. And uh, every time you talk to him, he tells you a new place that he's dreaming about, a new place that he's believing God is going to take them. And his idea is that he moves into a place for two or three years, establishes a really strong core church, reaches out to the communities in the area, and then he'll go to a new place and leave leaders in place. So he's really, really amazing already. So about uh, in, in November of 2017, we took a group of all of our leaders that we could get to go with us from Mexico and, and Latin America, went with us to Ecuador. There's a picture, a group picture there of all these leaders and up in the mountains and, and uh, outside of, of, of Quito, outside of Cuenca. <clears throat> and uh, Eofemio and his son, his son is in the middle there, and Eofemio is in the jacket next to Jose Luis. And, uh, and in that training, what we did is we talked about how do you do the same things we just showed you? How do you go to the lost and, 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 and build disciples and, and share the gospel and help them grow as young believers and then how to gather well and raise up new leaders? So we walked through the whole process like we were talking a few minutes ago. And, uh, and they said, we've been doing this in Chiapas already, but now you've given us sharper tools is what they said. 
And they went home, and in the short time since then, they've multiplied leaders into all their churches, and they have a vision to triple or quadruple the number of churches that they planted just in the last year. So one of the places that he's worked, and the places that his, his most recent mission is called Nueva Sabanilla. It's a jungle village really close to the Guatemalan border. And uh, Jose Luis is going to come. We're going to talk about a mission trip that he was on uh, not too long ago. Um, we've been working with him the last couple of years. And Nueva Sabanilla is a beautiful place with beautiful rivers. Um, and, and what happens in Chiapas is, is these villages, I want you grab, grab a microphone, um, <clears throat> they, they go as far as they can within walking distance as they plant this church. And so in Nueva Sabanilla already, we'll... Um, ha, has has become quite the little training center in just the last two years. And so um, tell us, uh, Jose Luis, how long have you been here at Calvary? About eight years. Eight years. Yeah. And uh, what mission trips have you gone on? I'm just well. kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Jose Luis has been on all of them. <laughs> you've been to the Philippines. You've been to the Republic of yeah. Georgia. You've been to the Amazon. Did you swim in the Amazon with David Love and I that time? No, not that no, crazy. No, no. You know, and uh, you've been to Chiapas how many times? Uh, like five. Five times. Well, and you've this, been to Guerrero yeah. and you've been to Paras. You've been yeah. to all of them. So Jose Luis is probably one of the most mission-engaged yeah. families we have here at Calvary. And uh, it's been phenomenal. You've served in the missions committee, and we were so thankful for your partnership. So let's, let's talk about uh, Nueva Sabinia. So last time you went there, you guys went to another village. What was that village called? But uh, it's amazing that uh, just about a year ago, the leader in that area uh, received Christ through Pastor Eufemio because he literally called him out. He asked him to come back and, and, and share the word. So he received God, uh, Christ, all of his family. And so now, this is the same leader that kicked them out the first time. Yes, he was going to kill them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's the same guy. And now he's so anxious and eager to learn about God and he's asking us to go back again as we did last year. So you guys went back, you walked the five hours into the jungle to visit with this leader and his family. Yes. And and it's it's particularly important this this uh community because from that place is like a platform to reach farther into the jungle about a 10 hour walk there's many other villages that i'm pretty sure we will be able to go from there to to these other places so we started doing you guys started sharing with them how to make disciples and plant and they got so excited they asked you to come back and bring more training more yes. tools yes they did and, and we we're going this april and uh as a matter of fact if somebody's interested please let us know let Chad, no, but uh, we're going back in April, and they want us to bring uh, not only uh, you know physical help, but mainly to train them and establish church house churches in, in in this community. You know, it's easy for us to talk about what it means to go and share the gospel. It's easy to say, "Oh, we send mission teams; it's amazing." But sometimes there's real powerful difficulty that is endured as a result, and and at the same time, there's spiritual renewal and breakthrough and life that's new. And so be praying, be praying. We're going to sing another song that's called The Gospel. Be praying that the gospel would penetrate and permeate these regions that have been so far from Jesus for so long. As we consider what it takes for the gospel to make its way from our hearts into the hearts of others, it's only natural for us to consider the ends of the earth, the end of that section of scripture that Matthew uh, 2019 and also the Acts 1.8. What's it mean for us to take the gospel to places it's never been and, and places have never heard that gospel before? So we have partners right now in Ecuador and Peru and the Colombian Amazon, Kenya, Nigeria, Republic of Georgia, China, India, and in the Philippines. 
each of those places we have at least one family, and many of them we have more than one that we're working with. This last year, Pablo and Judy Perez uh, in Ecuador, they're in Quito, we're blessed to see 28 churches emerge from last February to this February. One year, 28 churches across Quito, Ecuador. What an incredible thing we've seen God doing. Last April, though, I took Pastor Orlando. Why don't you come up here with me, Orlando, uh, to, to, to Patna, Bihar, India. Anybody been there? The north part of India is the most unreached place on the face of our planet. It's the highest concentration of unreached people groups and languages anywhere on earth. And typically, you'd look at it, it'd be basically north of New Delhi and, and, and east of New Delhi. And south of India, is a lot of, there's a lot of Christian families and there's a strong Christian population. But north of India, there's people who can live their entire life from birth until death and never heard the name of Jesus, never hear what it means to be a follower of Christ. And so we started hearing stories a couple of years back. Uh, maybe for me, it was about 15 years ago in Perspectives, I started hearing about these movements of people towards the gospel that were in the millions. You hear of Ying Kai in China had 2 million baptisms and 100,000 churches planted. And we heard that that was re replicated in North India. We'd never seen it. So we got invited by some of our, our IMB partners to come and just participate in a training that was working with 60 church plant network leaders. So they had started a house church that had emerged into a network of house churches that had grown to some size. The largest network represented in the meeting we were at was 6,000 house churches, and the smallest one was over 600. So they were all uh, very experienced church planners, multiple generations, and we got to participate with them for over those four days. It really was beautiful. But uh, what stood out to you as we did that, those, those, uh, that, that first training, Orlando? What, what stood out to you, those leaders? Well, some of these leaders, uh, what you could see in them is their passion to share the gospel. Um, we, were, we had the opportunity to interview some of these second, third, fourth, fifth generation churches. Um, and some of them, uh, I would say all of them, had this passion to share the gospel. And something that stood up to me was when someone would come to Christ, they would place a significant emphasis. You have to share the gospel as well. So you receive Christ, and the, the stories were so amazing. There's like... I was sick, I was demon-possessed, nobody could help me. I went to the doctors, everything happened in my life. I tried everything, I tried all the gods, all the goddesses, the gurus, all the medicines, and someone prayed to, you know, for me in the name of Jesus. And when that person prayed to me, you know, for me in the name of Jesus, I was saved and I was delivered and something happened. From that day forward, I followed Jesus. So I must preach about Jesus. I must share about Jesus. I must be baptizing them about Jesus because he's the God of all God. So that was something that, you know, the name of Jesus, you know, above all names, you know, in, in, in that area uh, where you see a lot of Politism, a lot of, uh, you know, Buddhism, sure. Hinduism, sure. all the uh, Sikhism, <laughs> all the isms are there. Uh, so that was awesome. And in particular, this, this occasion, remember the, the guy that received Christ? Sure. So, so we spent four days with the pastors. And it, with the pastors, they're really focusing on what things can we teach that people can remember. Is it simple? Right? Is mm -hmm. it reproducible? Can people mm -hmm. walk out of this right now and be able to redo this with their friends and family? And, uh, and is it biblical? They're always looking for some very simple biblical foundation. But aside from that, they sent us into the villages with two of the networks to try to interview the newest believers in the networks to see if what they were teaching at a high level was reaching it to the bottom level. Does that make sense? 
And, uh, and it was amazing because over and over and over again, probably a hundred plus interviews over oh, yeah. three days, we heard these same stories, healings, uh, demon possession, deliverance, where God was delivering them. Uh, we heard dreams. People were having dreams of a man in white coming to them, and, and they'd meet the Christian and find out this was Jesus. And they were, there's just the way God was working was so, so incredible. But, um, but you got the chance to share with one of the guys. Tell us about what it was like to do those interviews. Well, these guys, uh, you know, I don't know. He came, he was walking like three hours to come with his friend, and, and he got interviewed by me. I had this interpreter, and, and as I asked him about Jesus, uh, he said, well, I don't know who, who that person is. I just got invited by my friend. Uh, so I shared with him about Jesus, and he received Christ. He accepted the Lord uh, that particular day. And then, you know, the other guy that was his friend, uh, he said, well, I think you need to be baptized. And he says, like, yeah, I want to be baptized right now. So the Ganges River, it was just, just close by. Uh, I, I, was, I was about to go, but I couldn't. Um, they say, you're a foreigner, you can go there. I was like, I look like you, but no, I couldn't. <laughs> so anyways, uh, they, they went right away. It's like that, that instant thing. It's like right away, the urgency of the gospel, we have to go and baptize you. So they went to the Ganges River, and I want you to look at the picture. You see the contrast. You see this, there's a floral, there's a lot of flowers in the back, and that's an offering given to God's. You know, to a, to a dead God, to I don't know how many gods in the background. But then you see the gospel reigning right there. Someone being baptized in the name of Jesus. Death and life in the same of, uh, picture. I think that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ right there. So we, we were so blessed to hear these stories over and over and over again. Of people who had come to Christ in a meaningful way. And you ask them, what do you know about Jesus? They said, we know he's God. Okay, who is God? He's Jesus. Who's the Holy Spirit? We don't know who that is yet. You know, like they're brand new believers. They've only been Christians for a couple couple weeks. Well, what do you know? Well, I know I need to tell everyone that this Jesus has saved me and he can save them too. Mm-hmm. And it was so refreshing to see this, this incredible life. You know, one of the things that we were so impressed by was, was how the, the action, the work of, of, of the gospel immediately was evident in how they lived, how they acted. They didn't go to those shrines anymore. They don't go and worship those idols in their homes anymore. They, they, they changed their life. They, on average, we're asking them, how much time do you spend a day in prayer and Bible study? They say, well, I don't have a Bible, but this guy gave me a little chip I can put in my, my cell phone and listen. And they listen and pray for around one to two hours a day was the norm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I was so overwhelmed because I don't even do that. And I'm trying to help train them and lead them. And it was so convicting at the same time. It was so wonderful to see how much love for the gospel and how much love for the lost there was. As we finish today, we're going to take communion. I'm going to ask Pastor Julio to come up. We're so thankful for Calvary and all the things that you've done. When you give to, our, to, to the, the general fund, you're giving to help our missions. You're giving to help these families. We see the gospel exploding in places all around the world. And we're so thankful for you, Calvary. But you also have a role here. A role to take the gospel to the lost, to gather with other believers and teach them how to follow Jesus with all that they are, and then see what God might do with it. We need you, and we thank God for you. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Chad, Pastor Orlando, for sharing. And uh, throughout the next several months, you're going to be getting a monthly card that will emphasize one of these nine areas over the next several months. And, and so look for these as you go out of worship or as you come across this new map that we put in the hallway. And it'll give you information so that you can pray. So I'm, I'm going to ask you uh, as a response to consider 
what it is that you need, that God is calling you to do, whether it's prayer, I, I certainly ought to be prayer, whether it's giving, as Chad has already said, continue to support the church budget here at Calvary because it's from that budget that we give to all these projects and missionaries. And then consider going. Consider going on a trip like Jose Luis. If he can do it, you can do it. And uh, maybe you need to sign up for one of those. All of us can go. Some of us can go to the Philippines and Republic of Georgia. Some of us can just go across the street and knock on our neighbor's door and invite him over and say, hey, you want to watch a Super Bowl with us? And then during halftime, turn the TV off and talk to them about Jesus. Uh, whatever, whatever it takes, right? Just reach. Just go. Uh, and love people. So I'm going to ask you to take a moment just to consider how it is that you will respond. Just bow your heads in prayer. How will you respond to what God is calling you to do? And as you do that, consider preparing your heart to partake of the Lord's Supper. In a few moments, our deacons are going to come and they're going to distribute uh, the bread and the cup. And I want to invite every follower of Jesus here to be a part of this. It's our reminder of God's love and, and of the Great Commission. And so, uh, as the deacons come, you continue to be in an attitude of prayer. They'll come, you'll take a piece of bread, you'll take a cup and hold on to them because then we're going to take it together. If you're a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're welcome to partake of the Lord's, Lord's Supper.